2: The year is 1984, and podcast on, podcast off. But don't turn this podcast off, because we're talking about The Karate Kid.
0: Everyone and welcome to
2: Unspooled. I am Paul Shear, uh, as always, joined by my co-host Amy Nicholson, uh, who writes beautiful reviews. Amy, I have been enjoying your reviews so much. You had me cackling out loud when you were talking about my big fat Greek wedding. The review that you wrote there, please, people, just go and find it. Uh, <laughs> you are not somebody that I view as as someone who does takedowns because you actually respect all films. I really do believe that. But when you dig into an idea, like you dig in there, it really uh it, br- it brought me so much joy. I just love the way that you broke that film down as a oh, as a Paul. piece of pastry. Uh Thank truly you. truly fantastic.
0: That means a lot. And I I was I was a little proud of myself that I managed to get through that re- review without working in the fact that I grew up in an a Greek adjacent family being Greek Orthodox and had to spend my entire life working in Greek restaurants and doing Greek folk dancing. It's like, none of that matters. And it's ridiculous that I take this film as personally as I do. Nobody would
2: expect it. <laughs> I mean, you have to get that out there. Um, today, we are talking about a movie that has a uh, a little connection to last week's film, Bullet. We'll get into that uh, in a little bit. But the Karate Kid film is really interesting. It starts in 1984 And the legacy of this film continues to this very day. And I think often when you look at this film, you might write it off as, oh, it's an 80s film, it's a kid's film, but I really want to look at this film as a opponent to Rocky. Put these two in a ring, Rocky 1 and Karate Kid, and let's see who comes out at the end. I mean, that is a fight that
0: I would have laughed at you for suggesting a week ago. But rewatching Karate Kid with adult eyes, rewatching specifically the performances of like Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita, I'm open to this conversation. I humbly bow at you. I am ready to talk.
2: And I think that this movie is interesting because through the lenses of the 2000s, we look at it and we, and we examine the role that Pat Morita plays. And I think that there are a lot of arguments where people can say, oh, that, is that a stereotypical character? Or is that actually a version of a character that we've never even seen before. You know, And we're going to get into the changes that he made that brought him an Academy Award nomination for this role and how that performance has really affected his life and culture for good and for bad. Okay, but can we also talk about Elizabeth Shue's hair? Elizabeth Shue's hair was perfect, Amy. Yes, she might have looked 35, but when I was... Eight years old. She was the perfect girl. I I truly had to do everything in my power not to fanboy out on her when I got to work with her because she is everything you would want her to be. Cool as hell. She is Allie. I mean, Adventures and Babysitting. Oh my gosh, don't get me started. The 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 best. The best. And I can't wait to get into it. And you know what? Let's just. Unspool it! Fight! The year is 1984, and it's been eight years since the director, John G. Avildsen won the Oscar for Best Director with a little underdog film named Rocky. Now, Columbia wants him to make a new hit for a new generation. The studio turns to writer Robert Mark Kamen and says... They have an option for a true story about a bully kid growing up with a single mom who learns karate and learns to fight back.
0: And Robert Mark Kamen says, oh, hey, I lived that story myself. Back in 1964, I got beaten up by a gang of bullies at the World's Fair. Pretty embarrassing. And that humiliation really inspired me to learn karate. But what's interesting, what I can add to that is that my first sensei was this marine, and I thought he was way too violent. I did not like his macho style. So I, Robert Mark Kamen, changed senseis to this more peaceful, defense-first-minded teacher who moved to the States from Japan. That teacher's name? Miyagi.
2: Sound familiar? You bet it does. Cause the whole thing sounds so familiar that when John G. Avildsen is explaining the plot of the karate kid to one of the young actors auditioning to play the lead, here's how the kid reacts. Beats the, the, tournament, and the old man and the girl are going to go the sunset.
1: sunset. Ah. Yes, yeah, little Rocky story. Yeah.
2: Yes, that kid is Ralph Macchio. He was so dialed in that he landed the part of the lonely kid who moves from the East Coast to California and has the innate drive and heart and motor skills to become a black belt in uh, about two months. Not only that, since Ralph was Italian, the filmmakers were willing to change the name of the character from Daniel Weber to Daniel LaRusso to better suit him, and the movie was so rocky that on set, people were calling it the Karaki Kid, and... (laughs) You know, there was a, a worry that would this movie be just a cheeseball disaster?
0: Yeah, everybody was pretty worried about it. Ralph Macchio himself hated the title Karate Kid. He thought it was really stupid. The only person who was actually confident that this movie was going to be a knockout was John G. Avildsen, And he was absolutely right. Because when the Karate Kid opened on June twenty second, 1984, this tiny little $8 million movie made million in America. It launched a franchise that has made over a billion dollars. And this movie in particular scored an Oscar nom for Pat Morita, who played Mr. Miyagi, a performance that we are going to be talking about a lot today. So, what was in the zeitgeist that June? The number one song in the charts was a hit about how a lonely child can take a few bruises because he's got, as Duran Duran says, the reflex.
2: The reflex, you know what? And I'm mad. I'm mad that the reflex is the number one song because there is one thing that you cannot deny about the Karate Kid: the music in the Karate Kid is the best, and that around? is yes, is it the best around. <laughs> it is. By the way, Amy, did you know that that song written by Joe Esposito uh, was originally written for Rocky Three? <laughs> wow! It was, and they and they switched it out. They switched it out. Uh, for Survivor's Eye of the Tiger, which grew to be an iconic song for Rocky. But that's why there's a lyric in You're the Best. It goes, History repeats itself, right? That was oh. about Rocky.
0: Oh, my God. Right, right, because there is no history here. History yeah. will repeat itself in Karate Kids 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. And Eventually, <laughs> it will
2: keep on going. And by the way, here's another connection. Survivor also performed the theme song, The Moment of Truth, for the Karate Kids. So Survivor's out here really Survive representing, it, su- representing the underdog. I mean, this is it. They're
0: putting their stamp so firmly on Montage of People Sweating. That you really can't see a montage anymore of people sweating without just putting the song on. You can't do any, like, they have owned this space so thoroughly. There is no wailing guitar and, like, personal exhortation of of doing better in your life that does not make you think of them.
2: (laughs) I, I mean, look, you said it. I believe it. You know, there's something interesting about this movie. In the sense that, for the longest time, this movie was truly something that I just loved. It was a part of my childhood. It was something that I was excited to show my kids, and they actually also loved it. But it felt like, you know, one of those movies from your childhood that you don't care if it's good or bad. It's just what you love. But the fact that this movie has had this resurgence, and I'm not talking about the reboot. I'm not talking about the Hillary Swank version of it. I'm talking about truly this continuation of the story that started off as a YouTube series. Like, and I think not only continues the story with the actors from this film, but I think further ingrained this movie as a classic. I think, you know, when we talk about Karate Kid and we've talked about all these movies, like where they belong in the culture, I, I think we can make an argument that the Karate Kid should be eligible for this list of hundred greatest films because it is something that culturally has been around for, is it 40 years? I mean, 1984 to 2024.
0: Oh, God, it is almost 40 years. I mean, but I do think that we'd have to draw a line because I think we could only have one John G. Avildsen underdog sports story. It would have to be this
2: or Rocky. Which is really interesting because when we talk about Rocky, we don't talk about John G. Avildsen. We talk about Sylvester Stallone. And I, I would argue that most people assume Stallone directed Rocky. But he sure gave press like he did.
0: He's like, it's me. This is me. This is my big old story. But it was John G. Avildsen who won that Oscar. He won that Oscar.
2: Oh, 100%. It's just interesting how culturally, even when I was reading this intro, I was like, oh, right. He didn't direct that because Stallone it can take up so much air. He has a history of taking up air and 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 having his name as a writer on everything that I think it's really interesting to look at John G. Avildsen and what he brings to both of these movies. And it might be a good conversation to have here to look at, oh, what's John G. and what is Stallone? And maybe we can see a more pure version of it here because we have two movies that are essentially the same movie, but we can kind of see what are the things that he brought to it.
0: Well, let's keep drilling down on this idea because maybe for as much oxygen as Stallone takes up, John G. Avildsen is one of those directors who doesn't take up enough space. Like he's one of those kind of receding types. Those those directors that I'm really fascinated by, the kind of yeah. workman directors from like the 70s, 80s, 90s, who might've made seven of your favorite films and you have no idea that it was the same guy. Because yeah. I'll just say it. I definitely saw Karate Kid before I saw Rocky and it never occurred to me that they were by the same person. And actually I saw Karate Kid and it never occurred to me that Karate Kid had a director. So like that's, you know, right, giant of caveat on all of that. I did not realize that these were in so many ways, essentially the same movie by essentially the same person. Because even in sort of the mannerisms of Daniel LaRusso, even in the way he talks, even in the way he carries himself, there's a lot of Rocky there. Like that, that scene where he's trying to talk to Elizabeth Shue in the cafeteria. And he's like, hey, and he kind of suavely buys her, her lunch tray at, at lunch. Uh,
1: those are the breaks, you know. Yeah, remember that guy I had trouble with on the beach? Oh yeah, King Karate. Yeah, it's my ex-boyfriend. Oh, well, that's good to know. What? What? Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. I know. What are you doing? Oh, it's just this little voice. You know, it's telling me I gotta be some kind of a yo-yo to be talking to you right now.
2: Um, that'll be two fifty. Oh wait, for both. Three seventy-five. Three
1: seventy-five. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter anyway. Was well, that? Because it's over. It's over. Wait, how over? Weeks weeks one week five weeks how many weeks is weeks
0: i mean you could just put that monologue in stallone's mouth you could just put that in his mouth as he's talking to adrian or even when like daniel is showing up at mr miyagi's palace his like beautiful place with his like porch and he's wandering around and he gets like so excited about the fact that like mr miyagi has real fish
1: hey mr miyagi this is great man you got real fish in there That just made
0: me laugh of, like, all the millions sometimes in Rocky that we see Rocky Balboa be, like, really excited to see turtles and fish.
1: Hey, girl, say hi. You know, if you guys could sing or dance,
2: I wouldn't be doing this, you know? I mean, come on. These characters. These characters are so similar. A hundred percent. I think that, you know, originally as written, Daniel Weber, not Daniel LaRusso, uh, probably wasn't as, you know, he— Right. Exactly. And he comes in and there's something really interesting when you watch this movie, which I think is the only movie I've ever seen that has like a title card to set up New Jersey. Like it's like like (laughs) it really uh, it made me laugh when I was rewatching it last night. I was like, wow, they really want to set up. No, no, this is as far away as you can get. But New Jersey and Philadelphia and I know people come at me. There's not that much difference. It's East Coast. There's energy. There's a mentality, especially with like Italian culture there. I'm from the East Coast. I'm also Italian. I get it. I know people will go, well, hold on. But ultimately, it's all kind of the same. So I believe that there's so much similarity there. And I think what they do in this movie that's so interesting is this opening sequence that is pretty much all helicopter shots. Like, it's not close-ups on the actors. It's just voiceover in a recording booth of Daniel LaRusso and his mom driving cross-country. And we get to meet them in such a way that the movie starts in LA and that's kind of the first time we're seeing faces and we are automatically connected to him. I feel like he does this exposition masterfully. Like you really understand the stakes, the relationship of the son and the and the mom and the attitudes. Like you fall in love over a cross-country trip where we don't see faces. And I thought that was actually a brilliant directing choice for this movie and I was also wondering was that something that was maybe added in post because they felt like they didn't really have a great way to start the film? Because it, it's odd to have your two main characters only in like long lens shots. It is odd, isn't it?
0: Like it was really striking how long we spend on this drive. We see them stop at motels. You know, we see all of these shots of like the old West of places that kind of look like Monument Valley. We see the car breaking down. I mean, I think we spend like three minutes maybe watching a car drive West, which is wild. It's really wild. And I can only imagine Studio Notes being like, we got to get to the movie fast. And so I was building all of these theories too. I was like, is this. Ableton's way of being like, this is not a Rocky story. I swear we've got a new setting. I'm proving it to you. Look how far we're traveling and we're taking it all the way across country where our first conversation when we actually see these people's faces is going to be about palm trees.
2: Look at those palm trees. Damn. Do you know what that means?
1: Yeah. Watch out for falling coconuts.
2: Wise guy. No more Newark winters. I like winters, ma. Oh, you like sore throats. You like frozen
1: toes. I don't like smog did i tell you about the pool here Not a hundred times Mom. okay so make it 101 open your eyes my darling
2: son this is the garden of eden like this is like a double fish out of water movie not only is he not at home with his friends and trying to fit in but then he's also a fish out of water in learning this new skill it's not like oh he learns how to be cool like he learns A full skill, like you like you mentioned, he learns karate in about two months. He does, and
0: it's kind of weird because it has these like California signatures to hammer home the Californianess of all of it. That I find just wacky, like that kind of Beach Boys knockoff that we hear immediately in the movie when like he gets invited to go to a beach party. That is like karaoke Beach Boys, if I have well, ever, I, ever,
2: ever heard it. I'm and sure they just couldn't afford a, a needle drop there. I mean, you know, they were. I
0: know, but just the sound of it. It's like, it's like my endless pet peeve that any movie that has any scene at all during World War II will play in the mood. Always happened again just yesterday when I saw Murder in Venice. I cannot believe that there's only one song we ever <laughs> used to at the 1940s. It, it must absolutely be cheap. Insane. It
2: must be cheap.
0: I had that thought like watching this. Oh, right. This is why I had a completely false belief of what life in California would be like when I moved here, because scenes like this really gave the lie that when you got to California and you went to the Pacific Ocean, it was going to be nice and warm and worth swimming in.
2: Oh, okay. First of all, I guess I do agree with that. But (laughs) I, I think what I love about this movie is it shows the shitty side of LA. They live in a shitberg apartment with a gross pool. Like he doesn't go to like a super fancy school. Like I love the working class nature of this world that they build here. It's like LA I think often is like, oh my gosh, it's LA. But these are just working class people. And I have to just shout out for a second, his mom, Randy Heller. I love her even she's though she disappears so she for about disappears an hour. She disappears completely. I mean, and then all of a sudden she's at the end. She's like, I'm proud of you. Where where were you? Uh, but regardless. She has so much
0: personality and she's in computers.
2: She's kind of the future, but she which, just does not exist. by the way, that computer company she works for did go out of business. Um, oh, no. So, That's so a real
0: computer company? Oh, I didn't was, realize yes.
2: that. It was, yes. The
0: apartment complex is real. South yes. Seas oh, Apartments.
2: I've, You've, I've driven by it
0: oh my God, of course you have. I mean, I didn't drive it by it, but I looked it up on Google and it has 44 reviews of this apartment complex and not a single one of these reviews is sincere. So then I got really curious (laughs) and I was like, are there any karate schools in this neighborhood? And there is literally a karate school right on the corner. Like you could throw the newspaper and hit the karate school. And so I looked at their reviews and somebody did make a Mr. Miyagi joke. And then the owner of the karate school wrote, quote, Real-life martial arts is totally different than how Netflix shows it to you. Smiley face. Thank you for the review, Red Heart. But I feel like they know. I feel like they know. If you make a karate school out that block, you know what you're doing.
1: Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
2: This movie shares a piece of DNA that I really think is worthy of focusing on that Rocky also has which is an amazing supporting cast. Like, across the board, and we talked about Randy, Daniel Leverso's mom, but that kind of casting, even though she disappears, she's in the pocket from the minute you meet her. Everybody, I feel, is bringing these characters to life. I think that's why this series continues for so long, because there's something about the casting here that really is magical, and I, and I think that with Rocky as well, we connect to these people Daniel's not doing it by himself. Daniel's not great. And and maybe we've gotten away from that a little bit in our modern day underdog stories. I don't know if I feel this as much. Like you see things like Guardians of the Galaxy is something I could draw a line to and say, that's a team, right? And they're, they're all around the team. And yes, Chris Pratt's at the center of it, but the, he needs the team. And that's a little different because it's a team movie. But like this idea of an underdog or one person, like, I don't see characters so well defined. Like Elizabeth Shue in this movie, I love, love their relationship. I love that she's not like, yes, she's a rich girl and her parents are super weird. But why her and Daniel have issues is because of not a class thing. It's like the way that Daniel puts up obstacles. You know, they, there are obstacles between them. I think the characters are smart. They're interesting. That romance really works.
0: I mean, it's funny because you have that scene with her and her parents at the country club, right? That almost sounds like it's from a completely different movie, like some Mm -hmm. 1950s movie that is the movie about, you can't date that boy. He's from the wrong side of the tracks. I mean, it sounds like just an old-fashioned melodrama.
1: Trouble with Johnny? You two lovebirds having problems? Dad, we're not lovebirds.
0: Hey, Dad,
1: what time is it? Well, it's about uh, 9.40. Um, I gotta go. Have a date? Um, With whom? Dad, it's a friend. Not that boy from Reseda.
0: Yeah, he's from Reseda. He's a nice guy. It's no big deal. But that scene it pops out because it's like the outlier. You're right. That isn't how the relationship works. It functions because, you know, she likes him. She very obviously really, 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 really likes him. And he can't always handle it. He can't be that truthful. He's very hot and cold. He's very confusing because like, he's wrestling with a legitimate fear of the fact that he gets beaten up every single time he talks to her. Totally fair. But he doesn't like to admit the weakness of what's happening. And so he dodges and he makes it really confusing. And I appreciate that she has a, like friends who are willing to say to him, you are acting crazy. She is being completely, completely nice and rational to you. And just calling it out. Like, her friends deserve to be mad
1: at him. Makes you so sensitive. What? She's never been anything but nice to you. Oh, yeah, she was so nice. She used me to make what's-his-name jealous. She doesn't even like what's-his-name. And I never could have guessed the way the faces were stuck together at that country club. Oh, that's right. You didn't stick around for the uh, exciting conclusion. Oh, what was that? His hand on her ass? Her right hook. You think she sprained
2: her wrist doing her nails? Does she hit him? An understatement. Why'd she say
1: something, she
0: shouldn't have to, or should she? That is one of my sweet spots in a film when like the lead guy that we're supposed to be rooting for is low-key being a jerk even though we understand why and we get to really hear a friend stick up for the girl and be like, "No. No, the way that you're acting is actually not okay." But then also he's just acting like a kid, too. Like He's acting completely like a normal high school kid. That is rational. High school kids aren't like, let me tell you how I'm feeling. I've been really discussing this with my therapist, especially not in the
2: 80s. I think what this movie does is it's not afraid to take breaks from the plot of Daniel has to fight these people to enjoy some real moments. And whether that's like the meet cute on the beach with the soccer ball whether it's just the lunch line scene that you played there before, the mom picking him up, going to the mini golf place, like they spend some time with real conversations, just not montages, just not like little touches. Like you actually see Daniel LaRusso being funny. You see why she likes him, right? It's not just because he's new. He's got an energy to him. He's cute. He's fun. You see why he likes her. She's not stuck up. She's not weird, Right. Yeah, and, but
0: they don't also have to take it to the point where it's acting like this is the one true love of their entire 100%. lives. Because they basically are spending the whole movie in like, what are the kids called now? A situation ship, where it's like oh, kind guess. of implied that they're sort of going to be interested in maybe dating someday, but they're really not dating in most of the movie.
2: It probably is more realistic that way. I I know I connected to this movie because. It felt like he really liked her, but they're also not like, this is the love of my life. It's only been two months and they're kind of seeing it, like they finally get their shit together to have a date. We've all been in that mode of just like, oh yeah, I like this person. We flirt a little bit, but now, oh, we actually are going to go more. And, you know, it's it's playing around with this. You are rooting for Daniel to win at the end, not just because he's defeating the bad guys. It's because you are emotionally connected to these characters. And case in point, and we can break this open in a larger way in a second, but the scene where Miyagi gets drunk and talks about his wife, Mm -hmm. like you don't need that scene in this movie, but yet you do like, because it makes him human. It gives you something where you're like, I connect now to everyone and I love everyone. And I want everyone to win. I just feel like it gives everybody stakes I think what I realized in watching it, I was like, oh, this movie is two hours long. It's not 90 minutes. And those 30 extra minutes are all spent on really solid character development that makes everything that much sweeter. And I'll say that for Johnny too. Like Johnny is a dick, sure. But you see, like he's wrestling with some stuff there too. Like it's not just, there's a there's an anger there, that's not just like I'm a bully for bully's sake.
0: No, yeah, like it, it kind of like layers back and back and back, right? Because Miyagi yeah. is like, there's no bad students, there's only bad teachers, and obviously, you know, their teacher is the worst. I mean, John Kreese is just like a bully and a thug, and he's mean and he's brutal and he's cruel. But he is also a Vietnam vet who hasn't been home that long. There's part of me that wants to be like, that guy went through hell. Like, I absolutely believe that Chris went through hell. It is like putting through his war trauma into this, right? Yes. You're in like life or death situations for years. And then you come out and you're like, everybody must learn how to kill. Everybody is the enemy. I've been giving these like wild, wild speeches about it.
1: Here on the street in competition, a man confronts you. He's the enemy. An enemy deserves no mercy. What is the problem, Mr. Lawrence? Hey, come on, let's forget this. Wait, not yet.
0: I mean, to me, I heard that and I was like, oh, that is absolutely a, tra- a traumatized man, like speaking out. But it is also, I feel like, exactly how cops are trained right now. And that also freaked me out.
2: Well, we're looking at two men who both spent time in the military and that's Creese and Miyagi. And they both come out with very different, Points of view. Crease is probably the least defying character and the most villain. And I think that what I love about this movie is that they take the villain off of Johnny. Like you said, it there's no bad student, just bad teacher. It's about this guy fucking over this kid, making this kid, you know, basically hurt Daniel so they can have an easy win at the end, right? Yeah,
0: making one kid disqualify himself.
2: But I also think that that's what this movie is about, right? The movie is about karate and the beauty of karate versus the violence of karate. And I think it comes at a time when, you know, we see it in the movie. Like, the movie opens up with Daniel LaRusso, like, kicking in uh, a wooden door. And, you know, it hits that kid in the face. That kid gets it in the face a lot, by the way. If you watch the, the beach scene, you'll see him take a soccer ball right to the face too. I think oh, that was- Where's that uh, kid's
0: movie? What does he learn?
2: <laughs> but like, I think it's a really great moment to see like, oh no, karate in the wrong hands or without the right respect is not a good thing. And I think that in the 80s, I grew up in the 80s and karate was like, I'm going to learn how to fight. I want to fight. I want to do this stuff. And And what this movie I think really does is show, yes, you can win in a tournament. And karate is not just to fight, you know, a kid in school. It's about like respecting the art of understanding that you are a weapon, that you have the ability to hurt somebody. I think it does a really good job. It's not preachy about that, but it's definitely there. They do that without ever saying it. And they do that through montages and they do that through, I think, elevating the concentration, the focus. It's not just the end result. It, it's about working on yourself. And, and I think that that's why this movie is also emotionally fulfilling because it's not just like he won the fight. It's not like, you know, it, it, there is something more there. Like he learned something. He became a better person. I don't think that Rocky became a better person. I think Rocky's a good guy. And he trained and was able to fight somebody who is much more talented than him. I think Daniel, at the end of this, is a better person. I just think he is, like, he's grown. And maybe he should grow because he's a kid.
0: Yeah. I mean, they are both united in the fact that it's about a person with so much heart that they are able to withstand pain. You know, like, can you take the pain of life and will you allow it to make you stronger? And will people respect you because they see your inner strength? You know, in a way, it's like it doesn't matter if you win or lose. But here it's like, oh, we kind of want to see this guy win. Rocky, he loses. And then he has to win over and over again because of Stallone's ego. But yeah.
2: (laughs) But this almost ending of Karate Kid is really interesting. He gets hurt really bad. And everyone basically says to him, well, you did it. You've, You've accomplished so much. You can go home with your head high.
1: Win, lose, no matter. No, it's not what I mean.
2: I had good chance
1: Well can you fix my leg I mean with that thing you do No need fight anymore oh, just You saying. prove a point but What point that I can take a beating I mean every time I see those guys They're gonna know they got the best of me None of that balance that way Not with them Not with Allie Not with me
2: and this speech that Daniel gives at the end is really interesting because I guess you could say it's about ego, but it it makes the fight mean a lot more. I don't know. You know, it's it, there's something about that. And I think that that's what it shares with Rocky. I want to prove this to myself. I want to go even further because I need this to hold my head up high. And I think we've all been in those situations and to have it articulated in that moment where No one's saying, like, you have to go back out there. He really wants to go back out there and not to win, but for, like, respect or I think it's a sense of self. I I think he's going out there for the right reason. Does that make sense?
0: No, it does. And also, I think part of what ties into that is when he shows up in California, he actually has a sense of self that's tied to soccer. That's kind of his whole thing is that he's really good at soccer and he's showing off at soccer at the beach. They're calling him a show off. He's, he's like auditioning for the soccer team, completely assuming he's going to get on the soccer team. By the
2: way, I love that you use the same terms that I use when I talk about sports to my kids. I'm like, uh, auditioning (laughs) for the soccer team. (laughs) Auditioning
0: for the soccer team. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you know, doing your sides for the soccer team. (laughs) Um, But soccer gets taken for him because of his temper. One of Johnny's friends trips him. He starts immediately throwing punches at this guy. He's not allowed to play soccer. And it's like his inability to keep control of his emotions and to stand firm costs him the identity that he brings into the movie. And so I feel like that is a bit of an arc that he like, he adopts this new energy because he's able to handle himself better.
2: Well, let me even bring it one step further and say, do you think that the way that he presents soccer is here's my skill. Look at my skill. I'm so good at my skill. And he uses that as like um, the same way that Johnny uses karate. It's almost something he can hide behind. He's, I can do this. Like, I, I can show people this. It's like, and and karate forces him to become a more well-rounded person in a way. Like there's something about like he's traveling around with a soccer ball, right? And it, like that could be his in. Like he could just go right into that group. But he actually has to develop a fuller personality to be a better person because he can't just be the soccer guy. Johnny is just the karate guy.
0: That makes sense. I mean, because isn't it kind of human nature to lean into the thing that you're good at? I mean, that's something I've always been fighting my entire life is like, oh, this is the one thing I'm good at. I'll just keep doing this ad infinitum and I'll never learn karate,
2: for example. I think kids define themselves by what they're good at, you know? and, And that could be, drawing, it could be sports. It could be, I'm just the weird kid. Like they really can get into a zone and not break out of that. And what is really interesting about this movie is he is the new kid. The thing that he's good at is stripped from him. He doesn't have a support group. He like, he really is brought down to the studs, you know, for kids who are trying to figure out who they are and what they want to be this movie shows them you can be a little bit more holistic. You don't have to just be one thing. And you don't have to, like, you can be a full person. And Maybe I'm reading way too much into this. I don't know, but I love it. Like because, because I do think that this movie isn't saying karate is the answer to how you get friends and how you are cool. I think this movie is showing if you are true to yourself, if you have a good support system, if you know who you are and what you want, you will have success. Karate is just a specific of that success, but it's not the only thing that defines you, like the the characters from uh, the Cobra Kai dojo.
0: Right, because the Cobra Kai guys are using karate in a way as like a reinforcement of their buddy squad. You know, they all do karate together. They all maraud around the streets together. They all dirt bike together. They all like beat up kids together. But what you see through Daniel's arc is that karate makes him honestly more and more isolated. You know, he starts off this film, I think, as like a kid with like a lot of potential of making friends and being somewhat popular. And then when he starts getting into the world of karate and feeling more isolated from his schoolmates, he just like doubles down on that and like leans in to the point where he's like celebrating his birthday only with Mr. Miyagi. For like that's his like main intention, to where Mr. Miyagi is his best friend, where he's not going out that much on the weekends with like the other kids. It like he leaves the group in order to devote his energy to Karate Kid.
2: Yeah, he's being, I mean, because he's ultimately being hunted, right? I mean, he can't, (laughs) like, he gets to the point where he can't go anywhere. And then when he finally goes out into the Halloween costume, which is an iconic costume, I love it so much, uh, he also gets his ass kicked. But he also, what I like about that is he starts a fight. Like, he starts it. Like, there's something about this movie that I think I like more than Rocky because he's a little bit more fallible like he should just be laying low but he's gotta dunk johnny right he's gotta spray him with the hose or whatever he does that in that bathroom stall when johnny's smoking weed which i didn't understand until way later in my life what he was doing i thought it was a cigarettes you know so there is an energy to him where you're like yeah fuck yeah this kid is like he still gets his ass kicked. He's still starting fights. And he's you know, starting kind of dumb fights. He's like,
0: Yes, I, dressed as a shower, will be the god of water and get you a little wet. And for
2: this, I will take absolute bludgeoning and carry these bruises for weeks and weeks. And and then at the same time, he like he fucks up his relationship with Elizabeth Shu. Rocky is a little bit more, and I think this goes back to the Stallone conversation that we had. He is trying to be too perfect.
0: Well, I like, mean, Rocky I, is also like beating people up for money
2: and right. getting into silly fights. and But there's like a self-assuredness. Like Rocky is truly an underdog. Like no one believes in him. No one gets his back. And then he believes himself and he goes forward. And I just think that the relationship here between Daniel and uh, Elizabeth Shue's character, Allie, is a, I think a little bit more defined than Stallone's relationship with Tyler Shire. You know, in that the Adrian relationship, because Adrian really just, she doesn't really like him. He kind of forces himself on her, like in her life. And then like her big, like, what is it, the big issue at the end? Like she doesn't want to see him get his ass kicked. I mean, it doesn't seem to me like it's a sweet relationship. I love it. Sure. But it does. It, well, I, I
0: don't think know. There's something in that, like that Rocky singles out Adrian, you know, the shy right. wallflower of the town that makes you like Rocky even more. That that's the girl that he pursues, the girl that nobody else sees. I, I would say the but value that's like of very in that
2: godlike, time. isn't it? It it's is like, a little I...
0: godlike, but it is really sweet, and I feel like it's genuine. I will say on the whole, I am rooting more for Adrian and Rocky than I am rooting for Allie and Daniel. But that's also part of the fact that they're in high school; they're kind of lame. Also, it's weird because I know intellectually that Ralph Macchio is actually two years older than Elizabeth Shue, when he makes this movie. He's like twenty-two years old. But in my head, she looks so much more mature than he does that I can't really grapple with it. And also in my modern eyes, I kind of hate her costuming because I'm like, those pants are so unflattering and I don't know why they're making her wear them the entire time. And then I start going down the rabbit hole of also how on earth is is Ralph Macchio four years older than William Zabka? How is that possible? How is that humanly possible?
2: I don't know. I mean, look, this is something that we wrestle with on how did this get made all the time, which is 80s ages are fucking crazy. They they are absolutely nuts. And sometimes women in the 80s looked like 35-year-old, like they're oh, they're only 18, great. It's looks well, to yeah. the hair.
0: I think it is there. I think it is there. I think it is there cuz like I was rewatching this with my boyfriend and he kept being like how old is Elizabeth shoot And I'm like she's actually only 20. It's just that that hair to us is coated as old lady hair in a yeah. way that we kind of can't shake. You know that like just gigantic mess of curls that aren't really curls, they're just hair. They're just cotton.
2: I, like, I don't even know how people do that hair. I mean, I will say that I thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world when I saw this movie. So, I mean, like, I was all... I mean, that look, it was, to me, that was, like, the most perfect woman as a, you know, uh, a boy watching this movie. I'm like, oh, my gosh, if I could ever find a girl that looks like that. And now I think it would look like... It would probably be more age-appropriate, that hairstyle.
0: Well, I would like to say that you are, in fact, married to the girl that was put forth as the wife of Ralph Macchio in that old Funny or Die skit.
2: Oh, yes, you're right about that. (laughs) That put us on the Ralph Macchio Christmas card list for many a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. It It was
0: about how, like, Ralph Macchio could never shake the casting of this, which I believe is very true to his career. That's sad, quite sad, that, like, he just became the Karate Kid forever. Because before he did the Karate Kid, I feel like his career is about to, like, take off in a direction where he could have done anything. You know, right before this, he did, like, The Outsiders, where he was the guy who gave, you know, the famous line. Stay gold, pony boy. So he could have spiraled out, you know, and done, like, a range of films the way Tom Cruise got to do from The Outsiders. But I think doing The Karate Kid, being kind of forced into signing this, like, three-picture deal, being obligated to do sequels of decreasing respect and honor and valor... I think, took up so much of his time that, like, I mean, he's, like, 27, still playing a 17-year-old by the time he does Crotty Kid 3. And then, yeah, which is, like, so then, like, in this stuff, like, Wax On, Fuck Off, this skit that I was talking about, like, his image is where he's, like, trying to shake it up. He's, like, married to Jude, and then in here he's, like, trying to, like, get his photo taken with, you know, a prostitute on the street who's played by, like, an early Tiffany Haddish. I just want to get photographed getting a hand job from you. I'll pay cash. Oh, you're so
1: sweet, baby. Why don't you come back when you turn 18, okay? God damn, you know I'm 48 years old.
0: Oh, I mean, Your heart kind of goes out to the guy. It really does.
2: It's interesting. We've talked about this a handful of times. These movies from the 80s that have such a emotional connection really become hard for the actors to escape these roles. We we talked about that even with The Exorcist. This idea that, oh, we can only see Linda Blair this way. We can only see Ralph Macchio this way. Now, obviously, Ralph Macchio is in My Cousin Vinny, which I think is also a very funny film that I haven't watched in years, so maybe it's not, but at least I remember it as being funny. But it's a moment in time that I think that we are thankfully far away from because movies were such a big part of our lives. We watch them over and over again, and these characters could just be, like, kind of caught in amber, and it's it's interesting to remember, like, Pat Morita doesn't have that accent. You know, he was on Happy Days without that accent. Oh, yeah. right. He, he Here is him doing
0: stand-up in the early 1960s in his actual voice. He hails from San Francisco, and um, his parents are Japanese.
1: And uh, so is he. <laughs> Oddly enough. Ladies and gentlemen, Pat Morita.
2: Wow, these lights,
1: they make my eyes squint.
2: <laughs> oh, look,
1: don't misunderstand me. Uh, uh, I'm of Japanese extraction, but I was born and raised around San Francisco. And uh, that just goes to prove that we weren't all made in Japan. Most people think that French is the sexiest language in the world. I disagree. I think it's Japanese. Japanese is the only language I ever heard of where before they even say anything, they go, oh.
2: I mean, that is, that is Pat Morita. Pat Morita puts on this accent because they don't want to cast him in the movie. They like, they're like, okay, well, he's a comedy guy. He can't do this. So he grows the goatee, does all this sort of stuff, and, and creates this character and now i would argue it's hard to separate him from that character but before this he is a comedian he is completely different
1: whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day eggs are a staple in our diets
0: Three great words. Free
1: fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free
2: medium fries with one dollar minimum purchase. Bada ba ba. Fellow one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through twelve thirty one twenty-four excludes tax must-up rewards.
0: When you see how what a performance that I think Ralph Machu is giving in this movie. Like just even like picturing him in that final fight in the final fight montage all the emotions on his face how he looks scared and nervous and and focused and concentrating and in a lot of pain like he's fidgety there's so much in his eyes he's so relatable he's weak but we're like rooting for him silently he conveys so much human emotion in that final shot right before he gives like that big crane kick where you're like, oh, that guy's a real actor. That guy's an actual actor. Yeah. And there's something in just like his his stance, his demeanor, his size, his kind of narrow shoulders, the way he's breathing, you know, the way he's kind of hopping, 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 yeah. hopping on his foot. That is all performance. His foot's not broken, but in my mind, his leg is completely smashed. You know, I, I feel like
2: he was almost too good. Maybe he was almost too good, and he couldn't shake well, it. I mean, because he's on the cover of Teen Beat, like he is a heartthrob, and then it's interesting that he couldn't really capitalize on it. Maybe that's maybe it's in a time where your next movie that you pick it, it just kind of locks you in further. It doesn't become a hit, but like why Tom Cruise didn't do Top Gun too? Yeah, I mean it's true. I mean people turned down this movie. They also said that Tom Cruise is up for Karate Kid, which I don't fully understand, but. Look, there's a casting list here. He's from New Jersey.
0: He could have done it. (laughs) Could have done it,
2: but I mean, you know, you go, you go from the outsiders, which you're right, he's like great in, and then, you know, I guess he gets a couple of shots. He's in Teachers, which I remember is like this movie, kind of like an R-rated high school movie, but then Crossroads was the movie that I, as a kid, I remember really wanting to watch, and it's, uh, I think it's a movie about like blues musician Robert Johnson, and uh, it's like Jamie Gertz and Macho and Joe Seneca. And it's directed by Walter Hill. But I remember as a kid being so uh, obsessed and upset that I couldn't see this movie because it was an adult movie. And and maybe that's the mistake is, is you make a movie about I don't maybe that loses people.
0: There is also that thing, too, where once you get stamped with teen heartthrob, half the guys who are don't make it out of there.
2: You know? Right. Like I mean, that was my issue. Who
0: did from this period? It was Johnny Depp. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Depp made it out and Nick Cage Nick Cage made it out, but a lot of the other ones didn't. You know, a lot of the other ones got stuck.
2: Yeah. I mean, like if you look at that if you look at that cast of um the outsiders, it's a really interesting because I think you would argue that C Thomas Howell is the one that's probably predicted most to pop, right? So it's like, look at that cast. It's Matt Dillon, C. Thomas Howell, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, obviously Tom Cruise, uh, and Emilio Estevez. All of them, and I know that there are extenuating circumstances here, you know, Swayze definitely pops, um, you know, and can kind of go into this other role. And Rob Lowe, obviously, still working.
0: Tom Cruise does two more teen movies after that one. He does Risky Business
2: and
0: all the right moves. But then he's like, I can never do a teen movie again. And he like stops and he switches over to young adult stuff really early. By 1985, he's only doing adult movies. Whereas right. with Macho being locked into this contract, he's doing teen movies up until he's 27. Then maybe you are trapped. Maybe it's really hard to become an adult
2: after that. Patrick Swayze looks like a man right? And Ralph Macchio looks like a kid. At 22, and I'm looking at him in Crossroads right now, he looks even younger in Crossroads. Like, he looks young. And maybe that's part of it, too, is like, it's that kid look is hard to kind of, I guess, push off. I could see that, too. Well, then let's let's examine one other person here as well, which is Pat Morita. Pat Morita, who gets nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Academy Awards. And, you know, his career has already been going. Like, he's been working, you know, on TV and MASH. We talked about Happy Days. Welcome back, Kata. Is that how you say Kata? Cotter? Cotter? <laughs> Mr. Cotter. <laughs> uh Like, he's out and about. And then, you know, after Karate Kid, he really doesn't do that much. Like, he's in, like, a Drew Barrymore, Keanu Reeves, to- Babes in Toyland TV movie. And, and then he's in Karate Kid 2. And he really doesn't get another chance to do anything.
0: Yeah, his wife said that, like, it was really rough on their marriage because, like, he was also stuck doing those sequels. And, like, her quote is, like, as sequels came, I saw the deterioration in characterization and in Pat himself. Things started to fall away. Our marriage was destroyed by it all. Everyone would mimic him, a karate kick or a Miyagi-Sensei thing. It became cult-like. It hurt him. It was a burden.
2: But do you think that if he did it now... He would get out. of. I think he would get out of it now. I mean, there's something about this movie being a cult hit. It makes $100 million, like the, one of the highest grossing films of 1984, right? He puts on that accent. He's on Happy Days. Happy Days. He's acting. It's not like, you know, sometimes I think people get stuck. The first time you see them, if they make a very big character choice, you're like, oh my God, that's them. You know, but this is something that we already recognize and we know. we like, oh my gosh, how versatile is this guy? He went from happy days to this and he could go back and forth. It's interesting though. I wonder if there's also this energy of like, oh, we don't want him. Whereas I think now there's much more of a, oh, you were in Breaking Bad. We want the guy from Breaking Bad or we want the person from Stranger Things. Now I think we rely on that audience recognition be like, oh, the guy from Stranger Things is in this. Whereas back then, I think it was like, we don't want to be like, oh, we have Mr. Miyagi in our movie. We don't need that. We want to discover the next big thing.
0: Well, I mean, I do think part of it is that in the 80s in particular, it was a very, very, very rough time to be like an Asian actor working in Hollywood. Right. If, this is weird. This weirdly, this is what I did like my college thesis on, was oh, on like depictions of Asian men in the 80s. Because we're fighting the auto wars against Tokyo and Japan. We're, like, really nervous about Toyota coming in and taking all of our, like, good American ho. car-making yeah. business gung-ho. And so because of this, the 80s are full of, like, really bad Asian stereotypes. Mostly in ways where, like, they take Asian male actors and use them as, like, examples of weak men. You know, like, we can unman them. These guys can't, you know, get dates. Like, you look think 16 Candles, Revenge of the Nerds. All of these movies have, like, the the dorky, kind of perverted, often, like, Asian male character who, like, is just comic relief and, like, is there to look embarrassing. Right. And so I can imagine a world where, like, Pat is getting offered parts that he doesn't want to take. I could absolutely see that happening. Or just them not having good parts anyways, you know? And it's like a... I mean, even to do this role, like, they made him use his old name, Noriyuki, so that he would sound more Japanese. Mm. So there's kind of this, like, gamesmanship of, like... Is he even too American for this role? Like, how can we make him, quote unquote, more ethnic, honestly? Because the first person they even wanted for this was like uh, Toshihiro Mifune, who we should absolutely do a movie of someday. You know, he's like the star of like Rashomon and Seven Samurai, you know, the great Kurosawa films. But he didn't know enough English to do it, which is like part of why eventually Pat Morita was able to like really agitate for this role after like five auditions. I think he had to do, like, five auditions to convince them of it. Like, he has kind of this story that he tells about it that's sort of like a bum bum ch at the end.
1: Then they bring Ralphie in, fly him in from New York. They want to see if there's chemistry. We do it. They make me make us do it again. This time in costume, in front of the studio heads. The fifth time they bring me in, we you know, on a cold, blank, outline stage. No sets, nothing, but in costume, uh, but they shoot it. This time, they, of course, they've been shooting it, the process all along the way, but this time, for real. And to Jerry's credit, he's gets on the horn and says, Pat, I almost made the worst mistake of my life. I just want to be the first to congratulate you. You got the part of Miyagi.
0: So that's why Miyagi talk like this, because he ran out of energy. but also what i find so fascinating about this character that he's playing and like the heart he's able to put in it is you know the light dovetailing we see with even his character and mr miyagi that is true his family is japanese american they have been here but like when world war ii starts he's a young kid like he's a young kid who's got um tuberculosis So when he's like two years old, he can't walk and he's put in kind of like a cast and hospitalized and he's told that he'll never walk again. And he spends nine years in the hospital when he's like young, learning how to walk again here in California. And when he finally is 11 years old and like recovered and defying expectations and learning to walk and he can walk, he gets picked up and taken to like live in a concentration camp, a Japanese concentration camp in the desert with his family because World War II is going on. And so he's like 11, 12, 13, like those years of his life, Pat Morita is living in one of the concentration camps that we built here in America because we were like scared of Japanese Americans. And I admire that that's also, you know, part of the backstory that gets talked about here with Mr. Miyagi, because in the 80s, this is only 40 years old that we took tons of Americans and locked them up because of their heritage. We took 11,000 Japanese Americans and put them in concentration camps in the desert. And I mean, these are are brutal. Like the one that gets like referenced here, Manzanar, where like Mr. Miyagi kind of, we see through paper that that's where like his family was, you know, that's only three and a half hours away from Los Angeles. It was like the very right. first concentration camp that yeah. got opened here. It was like opened three months after Pearl Harbor. And like to picture what his family would have gone through, we're talking like A part of the desert where it's like a hundred degrees in the day. And then at night it gets to freezing and people are put in these trailers basically like 20 by 25 feet, like eight, eight people in a trailer. They're given communal bathrooms, like mixed men and women with no stalls, no doors. There's no physical privacy. Diseases are getting spread around the camps because it's like completely unsanitary and they have no way of making it clean. The story of people like Miyagi is like to prove their patriotism, a lot of the young men went and joined this infantry re- regiment called, like, the 442, which we know that Miyagi is in. We see, like, a little badge of his.
1: Hey, hey, drink, drink. Uh. <laughs> Sergeant Miyagi. Yes, sir. Sergeant Miyagi reports <laughs> to kill many Germans, sir. Hey. Yes, well, I
2: also think that two things can be true, right? There is definitely this idea in this movie. Is this portrayal of an Asian man as an other, right? He is a person who's great at everything. He has, he's magical. He, you know, he is into every kind of Asian art form from bonsai trees to karate. Like he, he has a a way of speaking that is different. Like there's definitely a stereotypical path that I think is familiar to what is being produced in media at the time. But because of this history that you're talking about, because of that moment, that that moment that we talked about earlier and that you just talked about now, like this connection to a real character, this grounded character who actually has a past, a history, it confronts a little bit of that racism. It tells you, like, this is a progressive movie in a way. You know, like Pat Morita, like he's basing this on things that he knows from his culture. But on top of that, you take another step back and go, well, here is, A seemingly stereotypical character who is an outsider. But guess who he becomes friends with? A stereotypical character who is ostracized. Like, they both are the same. The Italian from New Jersey who can't fit in with Southern California. Or you can even go one step further than that. The poor kid who can't be with the rich girl. Like, there is something more interesting about this movie because it's not just that... um, You know, that term like the magical Negro, that idea like, oh, they come in and they become this person that just, oh, everything, you know, they'll help you and they get your life better. I think that they both get something from each other. I think that they are both people who are excluded and underestimated, and they both find within each other a a true friendship that benefits them both. I think that that makes it elevated in a way.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, to me, a really telling moment is this climactic fight. Daniel's been hurt. He's coming back out. They're announcing him when we're about to have this moment of victory. And there's this little detail that I love, which is he uses his moment of reintroduction back into the fight before to fight Johnny to say, hey, you're getting my sensei's name wrong and you need to respect his name. And to me, that is this film's kind of little way of saying this man deserves the respect of this country. We're not going to pretend we can't pronounce his name. We're not going to be like, oh, it's too hard. You know, you will learn his name and you will give him that respect.
2: And I also love how Miyagi plays into the inherent racism of like the the white guy when he knows he needs to get through like that little area, and they can't. They he (laughs) pretends not to speak English. Like he, there's something about it that I think is elevated. I think that. It's not perfect, but I also don't think it's something that should be completely discounted as well. Because when I was watching it, I was like, I was wrestling with that too. I'm like, oh, is this, is this racist? Is this stereotypical? I don't know. Is he
0: he copying Yoda? That was a little bit of what I was nervous about. Like This style of instruction sounds a little bit also like, it's 1984. If they want to rip off a Yoda model of a young kid learning an elevated martial art, that would make complete sense, even if it was like subconscious. You know, like even sort of like his style of joking sometimes reminds me of Yoda. You know, the way they play
2: flutes underneath everything he says a little bit, a little bit makes my hair prickle. uh, But I will say this too. You know, he calls him Daniel son, and what I love about that is it's kind of a dig on Daniel because it's a son is a term of um, like you call somebody sir. You know, and so he's calling him like like he's he's fucking with him too. Like he's got this. (laughs) energy and i think that but um, is daniel fucking with him by the fact that he always calls him mr he's always calling him mr well i think it's like i think it's kind of having that that relationship i think he's like well you call me mr i'm gonna call you sir right and and it's something that like he's playing with him about but i i would also draw to the moment where you have this scene where they're at the beach and those two drunk guys are drinking on their car and the racism that that guy shows Mr. Miyagi in that moment, I think, is real. It has some teeth to it, I guess.
0: Boy, Cole
1: must leave. Kindly remove the bottle. Kindly do it yourself, Mr. Moto. <laughs> <laughs> How did you do that? How did you do that? Don't know. First time.
2: And then the resolution of it is like, you know, he, he cuts the bottles in half. And there's a great moment after that where Daniel says to him, like, how, how did you do that? And he's like, I don't know. Like, and <laughs> and there's a, and I believe that he doesn't know. Like, he just, he's not perfect. Like, I think that moment is really kind of great. Like, he's upset. That these people are being incredibly racist to him, aggressive to him, and he does something and it works and it looks cool. And he's also like, yeah, like that's it. Like there it gives him something more like the idea like he's trying to catch the fly and then Daniel catches the fly. It gives him some quirks that make him, I think, less stereotypical. You know, look, yes, he's mysterious and stuff like that, but he's also a maintenance man at this place. He's a lonely man. He's like, without his wife, it's like, I buy why. It's not like he's not magical because he's Asian. He is mysterious because he's a loner. And people don't let him in. And people don't think of him. And when he sees this kid who's also a loner, he reaches out to be like, I identify with what you're going through. I'm going to help you. Karate, not karate. Like I don't think his goal was karate. It's like this kid got beat up. I'm gonna fix his bike. I can do that. Well, yeah.
0: And also, you know, what you were saying earlier about like expanding your 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 base of life experience beyond soccer into karate, into trying something new. That's kind of what I get out of every time Miyagi's like, I don't know, I did that for the first time. I don't know. I have no idea how tournaments work. I don't know how any of this works. Like this idea of plunging into something and not knowing all the answers feels like kind of a runner in here. Who knew if the beer bottle trick would work first time? Why not just go for it? Why not, like, take a little bit of a risk and learn? He was nominated for the um, Supporting Actor Award. Yeah, he lost the Supporting Actor Award to somebody I also think is really interesting that I, I wanted to kind of shout out, um, which is he lost it to a first-time actor named Hang Esnior, who is from Cambodia. And this guy is Fascinating. I he it was it was for the film The Killing Fields. I don't know if we'll ever cover The Killing Fields. So I just want to talk about New York really, really fast. Um, because it kind of ties into everything that we're talking about. Like this is a guy who was uh put into like a Khmer Rouge concentration camp where his wife died giving birth. Also the Miyagi story, you know, and he never remarried. He finally escaped the killing fields, he made it to America you know, he uh, was scouted at a wedding, basically, where like the, the scout for The Killing Field saw him and was like, you seem like you'd be perfect for this part of like a journalist, you know, trying to escape the Khmer Rouge. He was amazing in it because like basically he was like, when you survive the Khmer Rouge, you kind of learn to be an actor because to survive, he had to pretend that he was not like an educated doctor. He had to pretend that he was in a, a moron, basically, and like break rocks and plow fields. And his life depended on putting on this act, putting on this like character role. So he played that character in the Killing Fields. He won the Oscar. Uh, He was only like the second person ever to be like a non-professional who won the Academy Award. We talked about the first one, which is kind of also why I wanted to bring him up. The very first one was Harold Russell from uh, The Best Years of Our Lives. Yeah, concentration camps are coming up a lot more in a Karate Kid episode than I would have guessed.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that the second Karate Kid film also digs a little bit deeper and puts a lot of different ideas in front of this movie. And I think that that's one of the the things that's the most interesting about at least the first two films. And the third film has some interesting ideas, but I think it starts to get a little bit more watered down. I think that John G. Avildsen and, and the crew behind Karate Kid wanted to make sure that they weren't just going to do Rocky II, right? Uh, they kind of switch it up again. How do we make him... Uh, a stranger in a strange land one more time. And we, we now we put it on Miyagi's turf. And Miyagi then has a chance to show a different range of things and uh, very much the Crocodile Dundee formula. Uh, but I think that Karate Kid 2 isn't as well-received because maybe we weren't a, willing to go that far. You know, Maybe we just wanted to stay in this kind of safe version of it.
0: Yeah. And then the third one is just Karate Kid. Again, which is why I actually think that you know, the new, that like Cobra Kai is kind of interesting because I'm a person with like, I think a ton of misplaced empathy half the time when I watch a movie. And so the fact that we do feel a little bad for Johnny and get to see Johnny's future kind of works on me. And I will be honest, I have not watched the whole series at all, but I love the idea of it. I love with kind of like, Wrestling with like, what is the fallout of this moment that like is easy to cheer for, but is it that easy to cheer for? And it's like, you, you, I mean, you know that like, Ivaldi was really kind of trying to work the angles of what we're talking about because like, one of his big commands to the Cobra Kai squad was that he wanted them to look, you know, as as Chad McQueen, who plays um, Dutch, said he and wanted. That's to our really little look-
2: connection. That's our little connection.
0: That's Steve McQueen's son. He wanted them to look as Aryan as possible, I think, to kind of divide that gap between like Eastern ways of thought and Western ways of thought. Like, because I guess with karate, they have all been blurred. I mean, karate came to the States because like US soldiers stationed in Japan brought it back after the war and then started to teach karate. So, kind of our first wave of karate lessons in America was with American soldiers, you know, was with like the World War II creases. I guess. And it wasn't for a couple of years that like Japanese martial arts practitioners started to come over here and teach it here. You know, probably the most famous one of them at this time was like Fumio Demura, who like came here and founded karate in like the 60s in California, founded like his karate school. And he's like the guy who like taught Bruce Lee. His magazine articles about him like really inspired like Dolph Lundgren, Chuck Norris, Steven Seagal was like one of his kind of worshipful students. Like he would play drums while DeMura was doing like exhibitions of karate. And DeMura was actually the guy who like does the stunt doubling here for Pat Morita. And like is the guy who's like leaping over the fences and kicking people when, when Mr. Miyagi is like attacking the bullies. And I think a lot of the diction and ways of speaking that Pat Morita uses in this film kind of come from Fumio DeMura. But anyway, that like this idea of like waves of spot and waves of school was really real in the States. And then I kind of started thinking about like how, and I apologize to anybody listening to this who does karate. I have stopped thinking of karate as like the scariest martial art, I guess because of stuff like, you know, UFC and ring fighting championships. Like now I'm like way more scared of Muay Thai and all sorts of other things. And I think of karate as like, I think I underestimate karate in my head because it doesn't feel like it has the same popular hold in the culture as, like, the scary, intimidating martial art.
2: Right. Well, I think that there's something interesting, too, because, like, maybe I'm going to be wrong here, but, but, you know, the idea that karate was one thing, right? right. It, 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 it's many different things, you know? Right. You know, Miyagi-Do is based on, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, uh, goju Ru karate, which is actually something that the writer studied um, when he was growing up. And, uh, Goju Ru has this principle of hard and soft, right? Uh, and when you actually look on the wall of Miyagi's house, there is um, one of the teachers of this uh, this type of karate uh, right there on the wall. And his name is also Miyagi. His name is Chojin Miyagi. Uh, and that's why Miyagi got his name, because this person, uh, Chojin, was the one who taught the writer this style of karate. And now, meanwhile, Cobra Kai is based on Tang Soo Do, um, which the style of fights film choreographer, uh, Patty Johnson, it's not strictly karate, uh, but people in the 80s wouldn't know the difference. It's based on a heavy use of kicks. That's like the Americanization of karate. Karate. It's one thing. You know, it's like and this is it's not just one thing. I don't even know that much about it. I do know that the person you're talking about, uh, Fumo Demura, Pat Morita Stuntable was hitting the actors too hard in that Halloween scene. He wanted to like use his own students so they could actually just get the shot in one take. Um, And then they shot that entire scene in one take. Okay. Well, I also know that like Chad McQueen
0: in that skeleton suit says that he was wearing like a rolled up sock in his crotch and that it's a trick he learned from his dad
2: so he would look more macho. That's a lo- amazing.
0: And also that he kind of hated having his hair dyed that like really unnatural shade of platinum blonde, which I find funny because it means all these tough guys are spending a lot of time in the salon getting their hair bleached over and over and over again. But he said the one good thing about being unrecognizably kind of oompa Loompa freakishly orangey blonde was that people didn't recognize him as much when the movie came out or as or as he put it, So I didn't get my ass kicked when the movie came out.
2: I love that. And by the way, uh, Halloween fight scene, one more detail about that. That is one of the fastest fight scenes in a feature film at nine seconds.
0: Whoa. Nine seconds, five guys.
2: Yes, pretty good. And that was all done in one take.
0: Well, I also know that actually Fumio Damora like ripped his pants doing it. And he was kind of upset because he told the wardrobe that he needed double knit pants that weren't going to rip. I love that. I love vintage double nut pants. They're like my favorite thing on the planet, but that the wardrobe guy got him cotton pants. And when he left the fence, his pants ripped and he was very upset, uh, but he was luckily wearing the same color underwear. So you can't tell.
2: Well, that's always the way to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, so this this movie is a really interesting film because like you said, it, could there only be one John G. Avildsen film on the list? And, you know, I think when we're looking at these movies, and you probably would have a a casual conversation with somebody, they would immediately say, well, no, Rocky, that's the classic movie. But I would argue if you talk to people of a different age, the answer might be different. You know, Rocky is an icon. Like Rocky almost feels like a folk hero. Like Rocky is Paul Bunyan. But I think the Karate Kid has this deeper psychological connection to a lot of people's experiences. We can all be Daniel. We all can't be Rocky. Rocky came in with a base level of ability. Uh, Daniel does not. I mean, Daniel also learns, you know, what takes most people five years and like 40 days. But, uh, but, you know, that's movies. But what do you think? You know, if you look at Rocky and The Karate Kid, I'm not saying you have to give me a, a firm answer, but pound for pound, movie to movie, take away all the accolades, take away all the awards or the pop culture-ness of it, is one of these movies standing out more than the other?
0: I think that at the end of the day, I would still go Rocky. But what this conversation has kind of done is, you know, we talk a lot about like sort of the eras in filmmaking and the rise of New Hollywood in the 70s and blah, blah, blah. And now Star Wars changed everything. Thinking about The Karate Kid, thinking about Rocky, it made me think maybe we're attributing this slightly wrong. Maybe one of the first signature films of what will be '80s Hollywood was Rocky. You know, maybe like Rocky actually belongs more to the '80s than it does to the '70s. That it's like a, a precursor of where movies are gonna go. Mm. As much as Star Wars, I think Star Wars gets all that credit, but when I think of Karate Kid as like the '80s movie, and if it is knocking off Rocky, then maybe Rocky is the ancestor of all '80s movies.
2: Yeah. There's something that's universal about a kid's story that I don't think you can go backwards towards. I don't know if I saw this movie now, I would feel the same way about it for the first time. But I think if you see this movie before you see Rocky, which you did too. Which we did. Yeah, we did.
0: We did. And I don't think we're alone in that at all.
2: Yeah. Like, it's interesting that you still go back to Rocky. And I, I think it's hard to separate. And we go back to this again. Stallone, the icon status of that movie. This is a more fun movie than Rocky. Hands down, a more fun movie than Rocky, in my opinion. Like, it's just, it, it's it got life, it's got humor, and, and Rocky's got all this stuff too. But I think that these movies are dinged, and we talked about this with the actors, and we talked about this with everything, because it's not adult. I, I think that the kid part of this makes us devalue this movie as oh well, it's a it's like but it's a kids movie, and you're right about the idea that it may have shown the way. But I also think that it's the reason why the Academy Awards I think has this bad reputation. It's like this movie can't get rewarded the same way Karate Kid did. But if you put an adult in this movie, I bet you it would have, you know. But you well, put it was the adult music. who
0: got nominated,
2: you know. And I think right. the Rough Macho is also great. But Absolutely. I mean, to your
0: point of all of that, I think one of the things I want to take away from this episode is, as a critic. There are times where you're like, okay, gosh, I go have to have to go see this kids' movie. And I feel very conscious of trying not to go into any movie with a bad attitude.
2: Right. But this
0: is the kind of movie that I can imagine kind of going into with a bad attitude as a critic and having to be aware of not letting that happen. The Karate Kid by the guy who did Rocky, but it's just Rocky again, but for kids. Oh, this is probably going to be lame, right? Yeah. You can see how that would get devalued. And I wonder if that stuff like, How much Daniel LaRusso reminds me of Rocky is actually Ralph Macchio kind of cluing into this and being like, oh, they're doing Rocky again, like we heard in his edition. Oh, you're doing Rocky again? Well, then I guess you want me to channel some Stallone. And maybe it's not even Avildsen shaping this character to be Rocky, but it's like Ralph Macchio cluing into that and kind of bringing it out in his performance, too, and kind of like his swagger and kind of the way he tells jokes. I'd be really curious to know kind of the answer of that or like the dynamic and how that got shaped.
2: What I love about this movie is it's called Karate Kid. And how does it end? With a fucking freeze frame on Pat Morita's face.
0: Yeah, Pat Morita's face.
2: Because it ended originally with, like, Daniel being carried off into the crowd. It's, you know, I think that Rocky ends similarly. It's like, it's not about anything else at the end. It's just about Adrian. Where's Adrian? I want to see Adrian and get connected to her. There's an idea there that, like, not that he's proud, but, like, he created that. He is a part of that. It's like, like, I think it, like, tips the hat to the creator instead of, like, the, oh, my gosh, he won the fight. Like, it's interesting the audience reacted negatively to the ending and loved the ending with the freeze frame on Pat Morita. It's like we all want to make somebody proud. I don't know. I, there's something. I, just, I think it's cool that it ends. It ends on the teacher, not the student.
0: But you know what I feel like we don't leave the movie with? Any actual understanding of how karate tournaments work? Because I'm still like, wait, wow, how come that kick wins, but that kick doesn't? What's happening? I find everything in this, in, the, in the actual fighting, a little bit confusing, and I wish I understood it better. Oh I kicks you in the it. face. How come one kick in the face is legal and the other kick in the face is not?
2: Well, that you got to get involved in karate. You'll find out all the different stories. You'll <laughs> you'll know all of it. Um, you know it. It is that. I mean, that tournament at the end. It's like going to a sporting event with somebody that like you. Like that's why this happens. You're like great, got it. Like it, but it, it doesn't get bogged down in it. And that, that's what again I love about this movie. There's no exposition that like tells us the rules of the tournament. Ultimately, it's like that's an illegal kick. You're out. Okay, you're going up. Like we don't get bogged <laughs> down in weird specifics. Like who gives a shit.
0: Okay, but you know what I will say when Mr. Miyagi is like, yeah, he's a black belt. I'm like, oh, man, this is a guy who like in teaching this kid a valuable inner lesson is absolutely willing to get him killed. It's a little bit saw like, you know, I'm like he's absolutely willing to toss this kid in the water, make him cold no. get in the Pacific Ocean, be a black belt when he knows he's not a black belt because no. he's kind of making a point about how black belts are a Western thing and dumb. And he's like, My belt, this is from but also that's that's Daniel's face on the line. So it's a little bit like it's a little bit torture.
2: I think what I (laughs) what I think I get it from that moment is like you have made up these rules like, oh, they're a black belt. They're this. They're that. I am so confident that he can take on this kid, a kid that I've already fought, uh, you know, which is also another thing, too. It doesn't make a difference what society calls you or this. He knew he was ready. It wasn't like oh shit, you know. Oh god, I didn't know they would be here. I I I, I like that moment because it's sort of like it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference what belt you are. It just can you compete? It's like can Coco Golf win the U.S. Open? Yes, 19 years old. Like it, she is ready. She could do it. Like that's you know, and that's <laughs> it. Like you know, it's like 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 you know, she doesn't have to be like well, you have to win this and this before you get to that. No, she's ready to go. She fucking did it. You know, so I don't know. I, I I like that idea too. Anyway, Karate Kid. You decide uh, what what you think. Uh, Karate Kid over Rocky, and I and I already feel the the boards and the Discord just roundly disregarding this. Uh, my opinion on this, but uh, but but
0: I, Paul, I, the message of this movie is don't listen to that.
2: Exactly. Trust your and heart. Believe yes. in
0: your heart. Make your argument for your heart. And if you are defeated, be defeated with pride because you knew you did the
2: best. Amen. All right, so Amy, next week, where are we going?
0: You know, we're going to do a little bit of a roundhouse kick. TCM is relaunching this month with their powerful director buddies as their backup, as their Cobra Kai being like, we're fighting our way back into the center.
2: 100%. I think it's been really interesting that, you know, you had this amazing cabal of directors, Paul Thomas Anderson, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, I I think there might even be a few more, uh, who basically said to Warner Brothers, let us save TCM. We believe that classic movies need to be seen. And so they are kind of becoming the directors of what can be on there. And to start off this relaunch of TCM, they are putting forth movies that they believe everyone should see. And they've made great lists. And we decided to go with one of the people who's most passionate about saving TCM and, and, and really got in there and convinced uh, David Zasloff that, that classic movies needed to be saved. And that's Steven Spielberg. And we looked through his list and we found a movie that we think is really a perfect film for this show.
0: Exactly. I have been wanting to do a Douglas Sirk for so long. And the one that he singled out is Imitation of Life, which is actually one of the movies I was thinking of when I was thinking about the scene here with the trouble with Johnny is. You know, it it almost feels like it's a jumping in and doing a, for that scene only, a bad version of Douglas Sirk, of a man who like really wrestled with like, love and family and households and who is american
2: i mean this is a great movie because some of the things that we've talked about in this obviously sandra d is in this we talked about that at great length in uh in our episode about greece who sandra d was and what she meant uh also lana turner i mean this is a our first lana turner movie
0: i think this is our first lana turner movie and and yeah douglas Turk, i just think is one of like the absolute major touchstones of american filmmaking and so With the elbow from from Steven Spielberg, we have decided to choose this one. And I'm really excited to get into this with you, Paul.
1: Love? But you've always had that. Yes, by telephone, by postcard, by magazine interviews. You've given me everything but yourself. I'm white. White. Why?
0: Starring Lana Turner as the great
2: stage star, Laura Merritt. Amazing. All right. I'm very excited to see this. So this is a chance for you to go check out what's going on on TCM uh, and support, you know, classic movies. And I love that these directors are making a, a play to be a little bit more involved and elevate some of these classics. The lists are great. We're going to deep dive into Stephen's list, but we'll suggest that you do some of your own deep diving uh, on your own time as well. A big thank you to our producer, Josh Richmond, our associate producer, Jessica Cisneros, our engineer, Casey Holford, and our executive producers, Cody Fisher and Amelia Chapello, and our MVP molly reynolds our theme song is by michael cassidy and our fan art is by kim troxel follow unspooled on twitter and instagram and join in the conversation about all things unspooled on the paul Shear discord at discord.gg slash paul Shear. unspooled t-shirts are available at tpublic.com unspooled and you can get a deck of unspooled playing cards and more merch at podswag.com finally See the official API list of Unspooled Films and more about the show at unspooledpod.com.